0: Hey, turn to First uh, Timothy 4, 1 through 5, and as you're turning there, um, this is the start of somewhat of a series that Landon and I are doing. Um, he's talking, I don't know, Jeff, when's he talking? Uh, in, July 8th. In July fifth. he's talking July 8th. July 1. July 1. In July 15th, um, we've been asked to do a question-answer period uh, with the youth guys, just whatever you guys... Um, have ever wanted to talk about to, to us, if that's anything at all, um, we're here at your disposal. But to do that, um, we, we're going to answer questions too, just random questions, but to give us sort of a base for that, Jeff has some cards that you can write your questions down on and put it in this little box. So look at that, little target purchase, um, this little box right here. I already have one question, but I know who it's from, and I promise I won't answer that one. Somebody's trying to set me up really bad. Uh, (laughs) uh, I'm going to talk to him later. Um, But anyways, Jeff has those sheets. Uh, Do you want to... uh, I mean, whatever. You don't have to write down anything, but if you want to, that is um, fine, too. But July 15th is going to be that night. Um, If you have questions about what I'm, I'm saying tonight or anything that I'm leaving out, or anything that Landon talks about, I'm not so sure his topic. I think it might be some uh, media and some things like that but um first timothy four one through five is going to be our text Uh, a couple of weeks ago i took the senior high down to orange beach for our annual summer camp and that's the camp that dr young goes on and he he teaches to our students in a very close proximity way way closer than here lots of spit lots of screaming and and the kids really um, connect um, by force uh, to him on this trip, and the entire trip is a teaching trip we, we have night sessions but we also have morning sessions we have two morning sessions uh, on different themes relevant to the lives of senior hires now each year i sit down and i think and i pray through some of the different issues that senior hires are struggling or dealing with that um that they, they need to know about and then i settle on two topics for the morning and one topic is for me to teach and then i i dish out another topic to someone this year i gave it to myron thomas from youth visions he went down and, and spoke on uh, biblical leadership but this year's subject for me was the one that I wanted to tackle for the last several years I was too chicken I was kind of a wimp um, because the subject that I wanted to talk on for the last several years was one of those subjects that sort of made me blush makes most people blush and it's the subject of sex and my goal was to use my three sessions my three45 minute sessions and, and and paint a picture um, <laughs> um Mental, not, not obviously, not a, not a picture, but um, paint a mental picture for them uh, for what sex was intended to be. The bulk of that would come on morning three, but the first two mornings, I needed to make my case. Uh, and to do that, I used the first morning to give them an idea of how we as a culture, and yes, even us, us Christians, have turned sex into an idol. We have made it into ultimate, and therefore, it's become pretty meaningless, as I think you can probably see just around culture that you're living in, from music to magazines to the Internet. Sex is everywhere in a way that uh, God never intended it, it to be. And because of that, we have a bunch of people, students and adults alike, who are walking around with a thousand of, thousands of questions about sex and, and things sexual. Therefore, on morning two, the goal was to candidly, educate them on the answers to their questions i wanted to explain to them the things that that you know they weren't they weren't explained during their 12 year old birds and bees talk with mom or dad Um, things like um, physicality and relationship uh, sex outside of marriage and you know the age-old question of how far is too far that every uh, young kid wants to know Um, but not only that they were taught in depth on the dangers of pornography And how pornography has actually decreased the sexual desire of our culture. Um, And then I even addressed that unmissionable act, uh, self-gratification. And and we talked for about 20 minutes on that. This this combined with day one set us up to learn a good world and life view for sex. Um, Now, when I was asked to speak to you guys tonight about this, uh, I felt that I might be at at a bit of an unfair advantage Uh, I was asked, I was tasked with the responsibility to help you guys understand the culture of sex so that you can take it, process it, and then go deliver it in some wise words of your own to your children. Yeah, it would be another, I guess, youth culture with will sort of talk. And, uh, one, I don't know how I'm supposed to package three 45 minute lectures into one. I don't think I could do that. And two, if you guys ever have questions about culture, um, Pornography, uh, physicality, and relationships, or whatever. You guys are free to call me at any time. I'll sit down and watch MTV with you, and, and we'll just learn all you want to know. Uh, I'll read a, I'll read a Rolling Stones magazine to you, and we'll just have a good time. Uh, you're free to do that. Um, <laughs> but three, I think, I truly think one of one of the reasons why sex isn't talked about to children why there's so much confusion about sex, uh, why it's not talked about by all of us good Christians, why we blush about it. I think it's because adults, us, single and married, have an improper world and life view for sex. I don't think we have it right. I don't think we view it as it is supposed to be viewed. It's not just the high school student who's confused on this thing. We, as adults tonight, we must start to buy, we must begin to buy in to sex, how it was intended to be bought into. We we must start to view it properly. Now that's what I offer to the students on day three, and that's what I'm going to offer you tonight. Not as parents of children. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but as adults living in the same world as they do, affected by the same things that they are. So for the both Single and the married tonight, Uh, this is for you. It's a biblical worldview for an absolutely amazing act called sex. Um, You know that I don't have tons of time. I've asked to keep it at 30, 35 minutes. So I'm going to skip any sort of funny stories, and I'm going to get right to the text. It's 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. We're going to be in this text the whole night. So we're going to be flipping over back and forth from pages, so keep your finger there. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Let's listen to God's word. Now the Spirit, Spirit expressly says that in the later time, some some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Through this text right here, I want you to know four truths tonight. I want you to know that sex was designed by God. I want you to know that sex is good. I want you to know that sex is a gift. And I want you to know that sex is a pointer to something even better. So allow me to begin with number one. Sex was designed by God. Now, in our text tonight, in verse 3, Paul speaks of marriage and the food that God created. Now, I fully understand that these verses said nothing about sex. But allow me to show you a few things from the book of Genesis. Turn to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. Most of you know the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Over six days, He created the world. Everything in it, God created. The, the, The sea, the stars, the sun, the moon, the fish... The beach, the birds, everything He created. And on the sixth day, we start reading in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. On the sixth day, God created his masterpiece. He created something to bear his image and this creation was to function as an image bearer. He created male and female. And did, did you hear what he said for them to do? He told them to be fruitful and multiply now how do you think that was to happen how do you you think uh, the population of our earth multiplies you know it's an easy question i'm not trying to be condescending at all Uh, a, a man and woman joined together in the act of sex in the creation account that we have in genesis 1 god created man and woman and told them he mandated them to have sex with one another and in chapter 2, verse 24, it's written, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's an equation here for all you people who like math. There's, there's, there's a man plus his wife, and that equals one flesh. Now how is it that a man and his wife are to become one flesh? I don't think you have to use your imagination a whole lot to get the picture that they are united in sexual intercourse. God created man and woman, told them to have sex and to multiply this earth with having little babies. And going back to chapter 1, verse 31, after he mandated all of this, listen to what it was said. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. It was very good. His creation and design of man, woman, and sex was very good. Now understand that this description of sex is being spoken about like this in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. We read the verse about man and woman becoming one flesh, and right after that verse it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So in the garden, sex is considered by God as something that is good. And both man and woman were naked and unashamed. That's the last verse of chapter 2. And something happened. In chapter 3 of Genesis, we read about the great temptation that Adam and Eve faced. And they disobeyed God by eating the forbidden fruit. And the consequences of that sin is known as something called the fall. Man and woman fell from paradise and everything, and I mean everything, got messed up. Man's relationship with nature, man's relationship with other people, man's relationship with himself, and ultimately, man's relationship with God got completely messed up because of this fall. Because of this fall, things that were once very good, like sex, began to take the place of God. And these very good things, like sex, would become ultimate. And then, as we can see in our culture, they can become very, very meaningless God created sex and it was very good man and woman weren't ashamed of their nakedness but the fall occurred the fall occurred sin had its way and shame entered the scene when it came to sex now you might sit there and be wondering but Will I thought I kind of thought the whole point of the thing was to to talk about maybe sex is a good thing (laughs) despite the culture It's, it's a good thing right that is my point in fact that's my next point sex is good Sex is good, but, it, but for it to be good, it has to stay within the parameters of what we just learned before chapter 3, before man's rebellion against God. It has to be within those parameters. It has to be between a man and a woman. But not only that, it's only good within a marriage between a husband and a wife. Now that's why our first Timothy text says what it says. Do you remember what it says? Paul is addressing this group, listening to a bunch of false teachers who are saying that marriage and, by implication, the things that go along uh, with marriage should be forbidden. Uh, they were also preaching that finding satisfaction in food should be limited. Basically, uh, stay single, eat oatmeal, uh, you'll be good. Um, to break it down to the core level, to the core level of this thing, the issue that they had was pleasure, whether that be food, from food. Or from the marriage, maybe in the marriage bed. But Paul says in this context, in verse 4 of our Timothy text, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. I know you hear me say this, but can can it be true? Can it possibly be true? Can sex as designed by God in the confines of marriage really be good? All some of you have ever experienced is the opposite of that. I fully understand. All of us ever hear is that that's not possible. You know, it's always the big joke in every movie that we watch. Um, the, 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 the dude is out there trying to be talked out of marriage by his, his other dudes. Uh, uh, don't get married because that's going to be the beginning of the end for you for good, uncommitted sex. That's all you ever hear about in the movies. Can sex really in the confines of marriage be good? I was reading an article the other day. Uh, it was talking about Ray Romanos, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, his, his view about sex. Um, I don't have time to read it tonight, but basically that sex is finished and or boring when you get married. Ladies and gentlemen, is that what you believe? Is that, is that, has that what you bought into? Do you really think that all married sex is supposed to be is once a month or less? Maybe with the lights on? That It doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way at all. Maybe for some couples it is, but I promise it doesn't have to be. It can be. It can be very, very good. And God's Word gives us illustration of how good it can actually be. There's an entire book of the Bible Um, written on this very subject called The Song of Solomon. Some of you are familiar if you're in Jeff Samples' class. Uh, This book of the Bible is disputed. Some people think it's um, an allegory. Um, Other people, some very smart people think it's an allegory. Um, But others believe it's an actual book of love, marriage, and sex. And I would fall into that camp. And why not? Why not? Why, Why wouldn't God address the most common desires between a husband and a wife? Now, you might find this very interesting. Now, some of you might be all puckered up about it, but some of you might be really interested in this. Song of Solomon 611, turn there. Song of Solomon 611 through 710. It's interesting. Um, This is what the writer says. Song of Solomon 611 through 710. Now, this is talking about, or or this is a conversation or, or, or a dialogue between a bride and the groom, a husband and a wife. And it starts out with she, talking about the bride, the, the married woman. I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, a prince. Then it goes to others, and probably talking about her friends. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. And now the husband says, why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon. By the gate of Bath rabim Your nose is like a tower in Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb uh, climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine. And the scent of your breath like apples. And your mouth like the best wine. And she responds, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. Whoa, this is some very sexual language going on between husband and wife. Now ladies, I apologize, you might have to explain to the husbands what it means by climbing palm, palm trees and laying hold of its fruit. Uh, they might. You can explain it on the way home. Um, I, had, I had trouble with it too at first. Um, but understand that this man is speaking of his wife's beauty. All of chapter 7 is, is him being descriptive of her body. But notice what brought that on for a second. In chapter 6, this woman is going down to an orchard. And in verse 12 of chapter 6, a desire swept over her to be with her husband. you don't see that in movies a lot. Uh, A wife actually desiring to be with her husband. You don't hear that in the locker rooms or at Bunko Group. I mean, you don't. Listen, listen, desire, desire swept over her and she went to him. And something called the dance before two armies took place. Now, I'm no Hebrew scholar. I've never claimed to be and I never will be. But other people are, and these words are translated into something called the dance of the Mahanaim. Write that one down. The dance of the Mahanaim. People have done research on this and realized that this was none other than an ancient striptease. This wife was burning with desire for her husband, and she goes to him to give him a striptease. She's getting naked in front of him, and as she does... He is commenting on all the parts of her body. He starts with her feet, and he goes up to, to her thighs, and then her breasts, and he comments on everything in between that. And my point is not to be descriptive, to be shocking, to turn anybody on. The point, the point is to say that what we have here is a husband and a wife. You have a husband and a wife, and nothing about their lovemaking is inhibited or boring. Here you have a husband who isn't afraid to be verbal to describe his wife's beauty. Something that all of us men probably need to work on. And all the women are shaking their head. And you have a wife who's not asking him to turn off the lights. She is stripping down naked right in front of this man. And this man is able to see all of her parts. And it is within the confines of marriage. And just like we read about before the fall, there wasn't any shame. And what I'm suggesting to you is that what was going on there was nothing less than good. Don't buy into the lie. Don't buy into the lie. Don't let what you see on TV and hear from your your girlfriends at the gym or your buddies at work influence you any longer. Sex done in a sinful way. Sex done in a sinful way before marriage while married to another person in a homosexual way to yourself. That sex is what's going to leave you lonely. That sex is what's going to leave you unfulfilled. Because it's not done correctly. But marriage sex. Granted, there are many Christian couples who struggle with a good sex life. And there's thousands of different reasons why that that is so. That probably needs to be held for another marriage conference. But marriage sex should be the best and the most exciting and the most fulfilling ever. That's why it should be recognized as a gift from God. Sex is designed by God. Sex is good. And sex is a gift. All good things from God are gifts and they should be received with thanksgiving. Remember back to our original First Timothy text. Again, Paul is talking about those teachers who were teaching the rejection of, uh, from the pleasure that food and marriage brought. And Paul writes, the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving? Gifts. Gifts like sex is something that two people in a marriage should receive with thanksgiving. But notice, I want you to notice them. This gift has recipients. This gift right here has recipients. And Paul writes in the text concerning the, um, the pleasure received from food and marriage that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. This gift is for those who believe and know the truth. Get this, sex is for the believer. Sex is not for the unbeliever. Sex is for those who have placed their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ. Does that kind of shock you to hear me say that? Because when I was studying this Timothy text, it kind of shocked me a bit to hear that sex is actually a gift for the believer. And I think the surprise came because sex seems to be everyone else's except the Christians. You know, we're the ones that don't talk about it. If it's in the confines of the church, we do a True Love Waits conference and leave it at that. We're the ones who don't discuss it. We're the ones who get red in the face, don't talk to our kids about it. Sex seems to be everybody else's except the believer's everyone else talks about it and they claim it for themselves and yet they do so without warrant and we've let them we've let them do it we as christians have been given the gift to enjoy and for the single man and woman in this room to look forward to one day and these thieves have done with it what they've wanted and in many cases we're allowing it they've stole it out from under our noses and they've set it up as a God. They, they stripped it from any real meaning that it really has. And we've let them do it. You know, they, they take our gift and they broadcast it on the internet. And we view it. They, they take our gift and they glamorize it in the movies. And we desire that. They take our gift and they sing about it in songs and we sing along to it. Don't you see what they're doing? They have reduced it down to a male enhancement commercial late at night. They, they 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 have they've made it where they think make you guys think that you have to be huge in order to please a woman. They have they have these robbers have mangled it to a point to where we see a girls going wild commercial really late at night, and we think that's the norm, and you women think that in order to turn on your man that you have to do these acts that those women are doing, they're thieves. They are thieves and they're taking something that doesn't belong to them. the most unique and it's the most pleasurable gift that is only given to those who believe and know the truth as those believers who know the truth as those who believe and know the truth we must for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of our marriages and for the sake of our children we must stop participating in this idol worship and we must begin to recognize sex for what it really is Sex is something that was designed by our Heavenly Father. And in the confines of marriage between a man and woman, it is good. And it is a gift for the believer to be received with thanksgiving. It doesn't stop there, though. It doesn't stop there. So far, you know, all I've talked about is the physical act between the husband and wife. A wonderful and pleasurable physical act that satisfies a desire that everyone has. However, there's another element to it that makes it even greater than it already is. It's the spiritual element that makes sex into a pointer for something better. Um, I wouldn't do the subject justify uh, I wouldn't justify the subject to do it justice if all I talked about was just the physical aspect. I, I think it's necessary to talk about the the spiritual elements involved in and- it. And you know what? The the non believers they try to take that away from us too. They steal that as well. You got singers like Sting and he's all up in yoga so he can uh, get all spiritual when he's having sex. And Madonna describes her sexual dis- experiences as as, as spiritual. You know, they don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, at all. At all. The spiritual significance of sex or being in one flesh or being in union with uh, another, is, is one another is that it points us to a greater reality that's even more satisfying than the physical act. I think the two best places I can show you this in Scripture is Ephesians 5 and Romans 7. Uh, we'll start with Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, if you uh, have your Bible still open. Uh, understand that Paul, in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, he's talking to husbands and wives. Uh, you know the text, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. Dr. Young spoke on it um, several weeks ago. And beginning in verse 31, Paul writes, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. However, um, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Does that sound familiar? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? A man leaving his father and mother, holding fast to his wife, two becoming one flesh. Sounds like the creation account that we read in Genesis. Does it not? Um, And and does it allow for a physical relationship? It sure does. It does. But even more than that, when a husband and wife participate in, In the Christian gift called sex, it points them toward a relationship with Christ. And look over at Romans 7. Romans 7, real fast. Romans 7, starting with verse 1, and this one isn't so spelled out, so continue to stay with me for a second. Paul writes, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, my point isn't to talk about some old law. Here we have a picture of a wife being bound to her husband while he's alive. However, if he dies, he is released um, from that, that bond. Now, in Scripture, understand that Christ is called the bridegroom. And we are always called the bride of Christ. He is the husband, and we always play the role of the wife, men and women included. I know it's harder for some of us guys to get, get our minds wrapped around that. But we are known as the wife, and he is known as the husband. So let me continue reading in chapter 7. Likewise, my brothers... You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new new life of the Spirit. You know, a woman... Having sex with her husband allows her to bear children. And that's not the most shocking news of the century, I'm aware. But in the context of this text, we play the role of the wife. And, and from the time of our birth, we are married. We're, we know this from Ephesians 2. We know it from Psalm 51, from the time of conception. From the time of our birth, we were, we were married to evil and unrighteousness, bearing sinful and immoral fruit. That's because we were slaves to sin. We belong to sin. But Paul gives us wonderful news in Romans 6.6 6, which says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That sin that we were once married to, that sin that we were once united to because of the death and resurrection of Christ is dead Therefore, 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 it's a huge word. Therefore, we now may be married to another, Jesus Christ. Do you understand? Get that. That's huge. Because sin is dead, and we are no longer enslaved to sin, yet we are enslaved to righteousness. We may, because of our union with Christ, be married to another. And because of this union that we now have in Christ we may bear fruit for God. That's cool. That is an unbelievable truth. The sex that we were able to experience with our spouse is a pointer of the greater reality of our union with Jesus Christ. That's why we should participate in this act so often. It's a pointer. It's a great pointer of something even better. What an act of grace that God has given His people when so many times we're reminded of our relationship and our union with Christ with um, difficulties in life, uh, difficult circumstances, a disciplinary process that He might be taking us through. He also chose uh, chose to use the fulfillment of one of our greatest natural desires. Our union with Christ. Sex is a pointer to that. Let me close like this. You know, you know what culture is offering you just by living life. Look around you. It's like Christmas vacation. Look around you, Helen. We're at the threshold of hell. Um, you you, uh, you know what it has to offer you. Uh, again, you can always come to me and I'll, I'll show you some YouTube, the YouTube machine, as Dr. Young calls it. And, and we'll... Uh, We'll watch MTV together, and like I said, we'll have a good time. Eat popcorn. Uh, but you know how also sex has been idolized and thus cheapened, made meaningless even by Christians. And you know how even you've fallen prey to this temptation. Look, if you've sinned, if you've sinned sexually, repent. Repent of your sin and claim your union with Christ. And begin tonight to view sex as it was intended to be viewed. It was something designed by a very gracious God, and despite the cynical view of 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 our culture. It is good in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And it's also a gift for the believer. Don't forget that. Don't buy into their lie. It is a gift for the believer. It's not theirs, it's ours. And it's also one of the greatest and most gracious pointers to our union with Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you're a single man or woman tonight out there, leave tonight anticipating something great anticipate something incredible. Realize how utterly insane you would be to do anything else except what God designed for you to do. Now, if you're a parent, single or married, take this message back to your child. Take it back to your child. If you're a grandparent, take it back to your grandchildren. No more demonizing sex. No more no, no, no. Um, No more neglecting the conversation. Let them know that God has given a husband and wife A great gift for them to look forward to one day. And for the husband and wife. Who's the majority of you in here. Go home and enjoy one another often. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected. If it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy. By the word of God and prayer. So to that end. Let me pray for us tonight. Father we come before you now. And um and I thank you for the union that we've received um, with your son through your son's work uh, through the death and resurrection um, uh, we can um, claim all the the great spiritual blessings that come with our union with Christ and Lord one of those is sex and um, it's a word that's been so misused and it's an act that's been so mangled and, and just done with whatever the world has wanted to do with it ever since the beginning of time. and um, So Lord, if we've sinned sexually, forgive us for that sin. And help us now to view it as it was intended to be viewed. Um, uh, One man, one woman, husband and wife. And Lord, let us, um, when we're engaged in that act, let us uh, know that it's a, a pointer to something even better. Let us know that is a, a gift uh, for us. It is good, um, and, and Lord, for um, for those in here uh, who are who are struggling with anything um, that they need to repent over, help them uh, cling to the foot of your cross, and um, and, and turn from that sin and, and look to you uh, for great salvation. Father, we love you. I thank you for these men and women who have come tonight um, to learn your word. Uh, bless them as they leave in Jesus' name. Amen.